46. Psalm 46. And we're going to look in there for a little while this morning. While you're turning there, I'll read a card for you. It says, we're grateful for our family here at Sulphur Springs Baptist Church. The prayers and hugs and encouragement over this past year have helped us through the pain of seeing our mother have to slip away from us. The Bibles in her memory fit her life and ministry, and feeding our extended family was above and beyond expected service. We love you all. Thank you, Jerome, Becky, and the extended Goodson family. So thank you, church family, for loving on them, and we appreciate y'all and what you do here at the church as well. Psalm 46, Psalm 46, and it's a short psalm, so we'll just begin reading in verse 1, and we'll read the whole psalm this morning. Verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. Selah. There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God shall help her in that right early. The heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. Now, if you come back this evening, we're going to talk a lot more about this particular psalm and what's going on in it. But this morning, I just want you to notice there in verse 10, where the Bible says, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. There's no need for me this morning to take up 15, 20 minutes of your time telling you how bad the world is that we live in. How troubled things are on a day-to-day basis. Uh, Not just the things that you see on the news, the crime, the, the shootings, the killings, all those things. But if we, you know, peeled the onion back a little further, we could talk about Uh, the problems of the indoctrination of this whole idea of global thinking that's prevalent in our school systems today. You know, you say, well, I'm not against education. I'm against government indoctrination. And the government's hijacked the public school system. It's no longer a public school system. It's a government school system. And mom and dad, you can't undo in one or two hours of church on Sunday and hit or miss on Wednesday, you can't undo what they do in your child's mind eight hours every day. 
with just two or three hours of church and, and no Bible study, no, no time at home to talk about God or, or you know, look after uh, into the things of God at home. You can't undo what the public school system is doing to your children's brains and their outlook on the world. You, you that are over 50 years old here this morning, you wonder how the world that you grew up in got in such a mess. Well, that's simply how it got in such a mess. Because we kicked God out of school, and then we kicked him out of the house, and then we quit going to church like we ought to and reading and studying his word like we ought to. And that's how we got in the mess we're in. And you, you don't have to like what I'm saying or agree with what I'm saying, but it's the truth. It's undeniably the truth. There is hope, but the only hope we have is for those that call themselves God's people to get back to knowing who God is. He says right here in verse 10, to, and we're going to talk a lot more about God tonight, but he says to be still and know that I am God. That know is not a, an intellectual knowledge. It's not a book learning about God. It's just something that you know. We, men, whether you like to acknowledge it or not, there's this certain thing called a woman's intuition. They just know, right? It's kind of undeniable, isn't it? Young, when we were kids growing up, Mama just what? She knew where we'd been and what we'd been doing, didn't she? It was probably written all over our face when we got home how guilty we were, but she knew. There's just things that inside of your being you know. And that's what God's talking about. That's the know here today when he says to be still and know that I'm God. It's not something you learn in a book. It's something you experience. It's something that, that is a part of your life that becomes a part of your life, and it becomes a part of your life in such a way you can't live without it. it, it it's not intellectualism. It's not intellectual knowledge. Nothing in that book tells us that, that knowing God in a, in a saving, eternal way has to do with intellectualism. Matter of fact, it's right the opposite of that. He says, by grace are you saved through what? That's not intellect, is it? That's not knowing, is it? That's trusting. Faith is trusting. But we have the opportunity, we have the unique opportunity to have what we call the Bible. Those men that wrote it and penned it for us over 15, 1800 years of time, they didn't have it. But they had faith. They actually had more faith than we have because my faith is based on the fact of God's Word. The provenness of God's Word. The history of God's Word. My faith is easy. 
I look back to an event that took place 2,000 years ago that's not just proven in that book, but it's proven in secular history. There's more proof that Jesus Christ lived and died and rose again than there is proof that Julius Caesar was the Roman Empire emperor. There's more secular proof of that. Forget the Bible. There's more secular proof of that. So my faith is not really on the unknown. It's not something that's untested or untried or that I can't be sure of. My faith is based on proof. I'm trusting in something that I know is real. There's that word, no. Those people, when they want to trust their intellect, when they want to trust what they know or what they think, then that's where the problem comes in. God said to be still and know. Well, the knowing part is not that difficult. The difficult problem is the getting still long enough to know. If you've ever raised children, you've used these words before. Sit still. Especially if you brought them to church. Sit still. Sit still. Sit still. I said sit still. You know how it works. Well, that's what God's saying here. He's saying to be still. Quit moving, quit doing, quit thinking. Just get right there and don't move and know that I'm God. Get your hands off for a minute and let me do what I can do and you'll see and you'll know that I'm God. There's three places in the Old Testament I want to take you to this morning and we'll, we'll try to, to, to get through them as quickly as we can. Three, three different times in the scripture here where God says for his people to stand still. And there's three different uh, purposes or reasons that go along uh, with those things. The first one uh, is in Exodus chapter number 14. Exodus chapter number 14. And this is uh, the occasion where uh, God is... Uh, you know, working with the children of Israel. And uh, Pharaoh, of course, has chased them. They've left the land, and, and he's chasing them. And, you know, they're in a, a hard place, if you want to put it that way. they got a big mountain on one side of them and a big body of water on the other side of them and an army chasing them and nowhere to go. They're, they're, in a, in the, they're cornered, if you will. Well, look here in chapter 14 and verse 13, the Bible says this, And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Sometimes we read Bible stories and, and, and we, we know about them, but we don't really think a lot about them or put ourselves in them. We think about, you know, Moses and the children of Israel and the land of Egypt and the Ten Commandments and the Red Sea and all that. And, and what, does, what does our mind automatically go to? I'll tell you. I can read your mind this morning. It goes to Cecil B. DeMille and that ABC weekend special, Moses and the Ten Commandments, and Charlton Heston. I mean, when we hear that story, 
That's what we all think about. What we've seen with our eyes, that, that movie picture, the Ten Commandments. Let me tell you something. It was nothing like what we saw on TV. Not one thing. There were two million plus people. Seventy went in. Four hundred years later, Moses leads two million plus out. So I, I don't know if you've ever seen two million people in one place together. Uh, I guess maybe if you've been to New York City or something, you might have all walking the streets or something. But that's a pretty big deal to try to get two million people coordinated and moving all in the same direction. And go. And now you've got two million people cornered up in the desert and an angry army chasing them. I think if I was Moses, I'd have looked for a speedboat and just jumped on it and said, y'all are on your own. But he's in a predicament too. And God spoke to Moses and said, Moses, tell the people to stand still. Now he's got to halt two million people that it took him forever to get moving. It's like stopping one of them trains that's two miles long. The first car's ready to start again before the last car ever gets stopped all the way. But he's got all the people there and they're stopped and they're stopped at the Red Sea. And he said, and see the salvation of the Lord. God wants us to know who he is, his person. There's a lot of things about God, a lot of attributes, a lot of ways we can see him, describe him, just saying about him being a good father. There's all these things about God. But the one thing that we need to know more than anything about God is this. God loved us enough. He created us. Satan deceived us. And man sinned. And God lost his prized possession to Satan when man sinned. But God loved us enough that he had a plan so that we could know him. We could come to know him personally just like Adam knew him personally. He's a personal God. And he wants us to have a personal relationship with him. And just like he said for Moses to tell the people to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, that's the most important thing in a person's life is that they see the salvation of the Lord. You may wonder sometimes, you, you, you're here today, and maybe you've been in church for a long time, and you wonder, why can I never understand things, you know, like they're explaining, or why can't I get it like other people get it, or why that? And here's why. You can know all you want to know about the Bible. You, you can have, I mean, you can memorize it backwards and forwards. You can know all the verses and quote them. And, I mean, you've been doing it since you was a junior in Sunday school. But here's the thing. If you don't know the man that wrote the book, nothing in the book's going to make sense to you. We cannot know God without the empowering of the Holy Spirit, and we cannot understand the things of God without the help of the Holy Spirit. And we can't have the Holy Spirit unless we have that personal relationship with God. That's just what we call salvation. There's a lot of people that think they have it, but they have religion. They don't have a relationship with him. They don't truly know him. And here's why. They never got still enough to see who they are and who he is. Because when we see him for who he is, Isaiah chapter 6 gives us a picture of God. Uh, when Isaiah sees him there in chapter 6, he tells us uh, exactly what he sees uh, and what happens when he sees him. In the year of King Uzziah, 
died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, which each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. See, when we see him for who he is, we see him holy and high and lifted up. We'll realize how unholy and unworthy we are. And we'll want to repent just like Isaiah did. And say, woe is me. Woe is me. See, you, you, you can't just walk an aisle and shake a preacher's hand and pray a prayer and, and, and come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not how salvation comes about. It's not about going through the baptismal waters. It's not about saying a bunch of stuff out of the Bible. It's not about memorizing. It's about seeing him for who he is. Realizing that we're sinners. Repenting of that sin. And then giving, just yielding our life to him. Just give it to him. It's not even about him coming into my heart. We, we use all this terminology, but it, it, it's not terminology. It's a relationship. Jesus said you must be born again. Did any of you have anything to do with being born? Not one thing. And the only thing we have to do with being born again is acknowledging that he's who he says he is and we're what he says we are and he's the only one who can make the difference. And by grace, he saves us through our faith and what he did at Calvary. It's a simple process. God wants us to get still enough to realize and understand who he is and know him personally through salvation. And when we come to saving faith, when we see and understand the salvation of God, then we can know the person of God. And that, that, dis, that, that door opens up into a million different things of his goodness and all the things that he has for us, all the things that he can do with us if we just yield ourselves to him as his child. And then the second place, God uses that phrase again, is in Numbers, the book of Numbers in chapter number 9 and verse number 8. Numbers chapter 9 and verse number 8. And Moses said unto them, Stand still, and I will hear what the Lord will command concerning you. God has a plan. Our lives are not haphazard. Our lives are not to be lived in disorder and disarray and, and who knows what. Moses told the people, Stand still and I will hear what the Lord will command concerning you. So number one, we're to stand still and, and see. Stand still and see. Look. Stand still now and hear. Moses said, I'll hear. A lot of times we don't, live life the way we should for the Lord because we don't slow down enough to hear the Lord. 
You go back to your own children or your own childhood growing up. How many times did your mom and daddy have to tell you to do something before you did it? You know, we all like to say, well, but around my house, daddy only spoke one time. And you know, that's, that's the old-fashioned way. That's the way it was. But I wonder sometimes how true that really was, you know. Did, did, did daddy really just speak one time and we did it? You know, because it almost seems like there was no dads that had any, no, no grace at all in any daddies, you know. No, I think daddy sometimes spoke more than once. I think he only wanted to have to speak once. But he sometimes spoke more than once, and probably not more than twice. Because on that second time, you was going to get corrected. Well, God's not much different. He speaks and we listen. He, he wants us to listen to what he has to say. And he's spoken, he's given us his word, and what he wants us to do is stop long enough to get in it and listen to what he has to say to us. Take time. I, you know, I, I, my wife would probably say he is very sympathetic. But I don't, I don't portray sympathy very good. I, I don't, it, you can't read it on me, you can't see it on me. Because I just have a lot of impatience and intolerance for simple things. You know, it's like if, let's, let's just say, uh, you know, this here was right here. Now, I'm the kind... I'm going to let that sit there one or two services and see. Well, I wonder if anybody will notice that and take initiative to walk by and pick it up and throw it in the trash. Or if it'll just sit there. And then after one or two services, nobody picks it up, then I might mention it. That's like around the house, you know. If I was sitting on the coffee table there at the, at the house, and we have three boys and people in and out, and, you know, it don't really happen because we got a good mama. I call her mama because I'm her biggest boy. She could just go by and pick it up. And then I have to think, well, I can't fuss at her. She's messed up my whole test. But, you know, how long will the trash lay in the floor before somebody picks it up? We're too busy. We don't have time. It might, might mess us up, you know. That's little things. But, but how much time do we waste? We, we waste a lot of time, don't we? We put the headphones in and listen to the music, you know, sit in the chair, <coughs> snore with the music in. We can watch the TV. We get on the computer. We, we, can, we can come up with all kind of things. And not all of them are bad things. You understand, it's, it's not a bad thing. But we just never get in the Word. We don't take time to hear what God wants to say to us. We wonder, well, what is God's plan? What is God's purpose? Why am I here, Lord? And why? Well, just stand still and hear. Moses said, God's got a plan. He said, I'm going to hear what the Lord will command concerning you. 
And God's got a plan for you, and he's got a plan for me as an individual. And then you know what? God's got a plan for you as a family. He has a plan for your home and for your family. And he's got a plan for this church and all of you together as a body of believers. God's got plans for everything. God, the word says he likes things decent and in order. That means he has plans. And he wants things to go according to plan. And when we give him enough time and attention, we can learn what his plan is, and we can follow what God has planned for all of us. So we're to stand still. We're talking about be still and know that I am God. How do we do that? Number one, we have to stand still and see him. We have to look for him. We have to see him personally. And we can develop that into a bunch of other things. We have to look for him in opportunities. We have to look for his coming. There's so many things to look for when it comes to the Lord. Then we have to hear him because that's how we know what it is he wants us to do. Every day he might want us to do something different. Here's what you do today. Here's what you do tomorrow. Here's what you do. We know there are corporate things we do, things that are repetitive. Stand still and hear the command of the Lord. And then the third thing this morning you find over in Joshua. Joshua. Uh, and and it, it covers a little bit of territory. Joshua. Chapter number 3. The Bible says this in verse 8. Chapter 3 and verse 8. There at the Jordan River, kind of like Moses was with the children of Israel at the Red Sea. Now they're standing at the Jordan River, verse 7, And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. And thou shalt command the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When ye are come to the, drink, to the brink of the water of the Jordan, ye shall stand still in Jordan. Stand still in Jordan. You say, well, it doesn't say to see anything there. Well, here's the thing. God wants us to stand still and wait. We don't need to see. We don't need to hear. Because when we see and we hear, the next thing to do is wait. Just wait. That's all the priests had to do. Stand still and the little word in Jordan. I could preach about two years on that in Jordan. In the problem. Jordan River was the problem, wasn't it? They couldn't get across it, could they? And that's where God wanted them. They had seen the Lord and how he saved them at the Red Sea. They had heard the Lord. They had heard his command. They didn't obey it, so they had to wander around 40 years in the wilderness, and it finally registered to them, and they got it. We heard you, Lord. You commanded us to go. Now we're ready. And then what did they do right after they finally understood the command? They come up to the Jordan River. And there's a problem. Another obstacle. So what do we do now? Wait. Stand still in Jordan. So the priests go off down the water. God's given them the command. Verse 13, it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of Jordan. When their feet hit the water, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand upon an heap. 
God's country, by the way. He's not a city slicker. You can read that in the language of the Bible. It says they'll be heaped up right yonder. You would never hear a city person talk about that, being heaped up. He said the waters will stand upon in heap. And what happened? They waded out into the water one day, and the waters piled up in a heap. There's a whole lot of things in here that took place in between where I just read and where I'm fixing to read from now. In verse 10 of chapter 4, the Bible says, For the priests which bear the ark stood in the midst of Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to speak unto the people according to all that Moses commanded Joshua, and the people hasted and passed over. I told you God had a command. He, he had a plan, right? That there was something for each person's life. Okay? Here, here he lets us know that those priests, they stood in the water and they did what? And they waited. Now, their feet didn't get soggy because the water went away from their feet when they stepped in. The Bible says they stood on dry ground. But they stood there in the midst of the dry bed of the Jordan River until everything was accomplished that God wanted accomplished. Sometimes we don't wait. We don't wait. We want to get ourselves out of it. God's wanting to do something in us. God's wanting to work out His plan in our life. God's wanting to perfect us and, and get us in the right shape so we can be a good, usable vessel. But what do we want? We want out from under the pressure. We want out from under the situation. We want out from under the problem or the trouble or the trial or whatever it is you want to name it. We just want out. And God says to wait. To wait. He's not finished doing what he wants to do. And we don't move. So he says, move. Verse number uh, 18. And it came to pass when the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord were come up out of the midst of Jordan, and the soles of the priest's feet were lifted up onto the dry land, that the waters of Jordan returned unto their place and flowed over all his banks as they did before. Whatever you're going through, whatever the problem might be, whatever is happening in your life, it won't last forever. Here's something else. God's wooing and God's calling and God's protection won't last forever either if we don't obey. The Bible says that the Spirit of God will not always strive with the man. Peter said that he's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. Why? Because he's patient and long-suffering. That doesn't mean it'll last forever. The Bible says very clearly, today is the day of salvation. You and I don't know about our tomorrows. I learned about life real easy one time. Somebody said it's like that box of Kleenex. We love Kleenex when we have a cold, don't we? But you just never know when you're going to reach over there and pull the last one out. I mean, did you count every one you pulled out to see when you got to 99? But the minute when you need it, you reach over there and you pull the last one and another one doesn't pop up. That's the end, isn't it? And none of us know when our last day is going to be. It's like that Kleenex. We had the day. But we don't know that we'll be able to pull up a tomorrow. 
Wait on the Lord. Don't get ahead of him. Don't get in a hurry. Don't try to outdo him. Just wait on him. God, God wants us to know him personally. God wants, to, wants us to know that he's got a plan for our life. And God wants us to know that even when trouble comes, when we think there's no way out, when we think there's not an opportunity, if we'll just stand in it and wait, God's got a purpose. Be still and know that he's God. Know him personally. Know that he has a plan for your life. And know that there's a purpose behind all the things that you go through. We're going to look deeper into that psalm tonight. But three other places here in the scripture, God tells us to stand still. Sometimes in the hustle and bustle and the hurry of what's going on, we just fail to take time for God. And our plans don't matter. I, I've lived and, you know, been married long enough, had kids long enough, been in the ministry long enough, had different jobs long I mean, I, I've lived long enough in life to know it's, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. I have control over very little. We, we, we try to keep things in order. You know, we, we try to, to do what God puts before us to do, our part the best we can. But at the end of the day, all we can do is say, Lord, I've tried to do my part. Now you have to do the rest. Help me to be patient, and you show me where I could do better. Just simple things. But it's knowing that he's in charge and letting him be in charge. Take time to be with him. Take time to listen to him, to see him, be with him, around him, wait on him. All It's all about him. Church is important. Coming to church, being a part of church is important. That's where we find strength. That's where we can find people that we should be able to trust in and rely upon to help us and to undergird us and to strengthen us is in church and in the family of faith that we have. But it'll only be as strong as what we are. It'll only be as strong as the people in it. So we, I talked about sowing a week or so ago. If you want a good church and you want good families and good homes, you know what? You've got to sow yourself into it. You've got to be one of those. Nobody, you can't expect somebody else to do it if you're not willing to do it or be it. So you have to be it. God's got a plan. He's got a purpose. And uh, he loved the church. He gave himself for it. He's going to keep it moving forward. But he always wants us just to stay close to him, be close to him, know who he is, and make him first in our... It doesn't matter what we preach, teach, or talk about out of that word. It all points back to that. Him being first in our life. That's what matters most. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you for the opportunity to share your word this morning. Lord, I pray as uh, we depart from here today, you'll take your word, Lord, and you'll just burn it upon our heart. God, may the Holy Spirit work inside of us to show us things, Lord, that we could do better for you, places that we could improve in our life. But God, I pray that, that you'll just help us as believers today, Lord, to, to draw closer to you. Lord, to, to see you high and lifted up as Isaiah did. God, let us once again put you on the throne of our life and take self down and, and take our will and our ways and, 
and what we want down. And God put you back on the throne of our life so that you might help us uh, to be a people, Lord, that could be a blessing to those around us. Now, Lord, if there's one here this morning today that, that they don't know you, Lord, somehow you've spoken to their heart. They, they have religion and they, they know the words, they know all the things, but God, they've, they've never really settled it with you. They've never gotten to the place where they repented and, and just put their trust in you for their eternity and their salvation. They're still trying to work their way. They're trying instead of trusting. God, I pray if you've spoken to somebody like that here today, Lord, today might be the day they would come to know you in saving faith. God, whatever takes place, we'll stop and we'll give you thanks. We'll give you the honor and glory that you deserve. In Jesus' name, amen. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, stand with me for just a moment. For just a moment. God gives us his word. and He doesn't just give it to us for entertainment. He gives it to us for us to respond to. So we want to give you an opportunity this morning. Maybe where you are, maybe you'd like to come to the altar. Whatever the Lord lays upon your heart, you just you come and you do business with him. Maybe there's someone you want to pray for. You come and do that. While these are praying, you just come and join them as she plays. Maybe you're here today and God spoke to your heart. You're lost. And he's revealed that to you. You know, without a doubt, God spoke to your heart. Nobody's looking around. We won't come to you or embarrass you. But if you'd like to know, I want to pray with you. And I'd like to take the opportunity maybe after this service to meet with you and, and just talk to you from God's Word and show you how you can know for sure that heaven will be your home if today's your last day. If that's you, would you just simply raise your hand up and put it right back down? Nobody's looking but me. And I'll just I'll pray for you, and maybe after the service, we can meet together and talk. Anybody anywhere in the building feel that way this morning? God spoke to my heart. I need to trust Jesus for my salvation today. Anybody anywhere? Father, we love you today, and we're so thankful for your word and what you've taught us from it. I pray, God, you'll just give us the strength and the courage that we need, Lord, to just be still and know who you are. God, we could be still long enough for others to see Jesus in us. We wouldn't live our life in such a fashion, Lord, that we're so rushed and hurried that we don't have time to be a blessing to those around us, to be an encouragement to those that we come in contact with each and every day. Lord, help me to slow down, Lord, and, and to show people who Jesus is and what he means in my life. God, as we depart today, I pray that you'll keep us safe as we travel to our homes. Lord, give us a good afternoon, just fellowshipping with one another, family, friends, whatever it might be. Lord, just bring us back safe this evening. Once again, open your word and study from it. We'll give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, I think uh, Miss Pat, Jennifer, is she? did they admit her, or did you hear any more?
Right. And Miss Pat Whitten, if y'all would just remember her, she they admitted her at UAB Hospital last night. And uh, lest you would think that that's, uh, you know, uh, a myth uh, of being dying from a broken heart, uh, it happened to my aunt uh, when I was a, a younger preacher. Uh, her husband of a long time uh, died uh, on a Thursday. We buried him on a Sunday. She died the next Thursday. We buried her the next Sunday. And the doctor said explicitly she died from a broken heart. It's real. So pray for Miss Pat. The Lord will help her with this because that's what she's struggling with the most is the grief of the loss uh, that the Lord would help her. It's, it's uh, compounding the other health issues that she has. So remember her in prayer if you would. Is there any other announcement or just let that? Right. Hospice. Right. Yes, sir, brother. If there's anything y'all want, preacher, anything that we could only do this stuff, meet with me, and we meet and pray. Amen. All right. Anything that doesn't mean we're gonna advertise your business for free. You got to give ten percent all your income <laughs> for us to do that. But we'll we'll put your business on there for ten percent. Right. Okay. Anything else? If not, you are yes, sir. We'll do that. We'll pray for. Her. All right. You're at liberty. Five o'clock tonight. Bring back here. God bless you. Thank you, preacher. Appreciate that.